Hi, this is K.S. Garner, and you're listening to the Solo Nerber Podcast. And I want to do an episode today on the potential mental health benefits of gaming. We always hear the negative aspects of gaming. Children are exposed to violent simulations they'll want to reenact in reality. It's addictive, distracting, and a waste of time. I'm not saying those critics are wrong. I even agree with them in some aspects, but I just think their grievances are misplaced. In this episode, I hope to provide a bit of clarity that will help start a conversation on how we as gamers or people who buy games for others can ease the stigma behind video games, who and why they play them. Disclaimer. First and foremost, I am not a doctor in any sense of the word. A lot of this research has medical terminology I'm not familiar with and I won't pretend I am. If any of you are or aren't familiar, um, I will do my best with pronunciation and paraphrasing to the best of my ability. All credit to the original researchers, authors, and publishers. Mental illnesses and disorders including depression, cognitive disorders, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar disorders, and many others will be mentioned and or discussed in this episode. The first article that I looked at, it was called uh, The Eight Cognitive Benefits of Playing Video Games for Kids. So this article was basically a general gloss over of the cognitive benefits uh, video games provides for kids. Obviously, that's listed in the title. Um, but I still thought it deserved an honorable mention and I uh, gave a basic understanding of what habitual gaming could grow to be positively for a child. Just as physical exercise helps in improving and strengthening your muscles, cognitive games help to indulge one's brain in constant stimulation, thus improving the brain's performance. Some are as follows. Improves coordination, improves problem-solving skills, enhances memory, Improves concentration and attention, a great source of learning, improves the brain speed, enhances multitasking skills, and improves social skills. After reading this article, I agree but disagree at the same time. I understand what this person was trying to say, but with no real analysis or detail of how habitual gaming affects a child's cognitive senses, it was difficult for me to see how any of this could transcend into the child's actual life. I too was a gamer as a child, but outgrew video games as a teenager. Maybe it's because I'm just getting back at the gaming, but I don't actually believe any of these benefits could possibly apply to me as of now. Uh, My attention span is pretty much all over the place. Even with eyeglasses, I bump into everything. I collect as much information as possible before I delve into solving a problem. Most of my memory is muscle memory and not because I actually know how or what to do at the time. I agree games can be a great source of learning if that's the objective of the game. For instance, a Fisher-Price e-learning computer game or a teacher's lesson plan specifically designed to engage students without them realizing it. However, I disagree with the social skill improvement. This is coming from one of the least social people you may ever meet. But... Social skills come from experience. Having video games in common and playing with others online is great at the um, great to start with, but nothing beats face-to-face interaction. In this next section, game-based inter- interventions are debated whether or not they can potentially replace those face-to-face interactions versus traditional doctor-patient therapy for mental health issues. Depression is the leading cause of disability. Innovative approaches to the digital media has increased from the lack of accessibility to doctors' on-demand care and affordability. 
This article, Video Games for Mental Health, focuses on innovative game design, technologies for promoting, assessing, or treating mental health, reflections on the development or process of games for mental health, user-centered studies involving clients, stakeholders, or caregivers, and playful interaction design for the therapeutic context. Game designers implemented their existing therapy practices into a game to increase the engagement and adherence to improve effectiveness. Scenarios are introduced that emulate cognitive challenges for mental health. Designers work to emphasize the good qualities of games in the therapeutic context and support the therapeutic process, not replace the importance of face-to-face interaction between client and therapist or act as a therapist. Video games offer a variety of mechanisms that can be explored in the context of the mental health intervention. Game narratives offer the opportunity to convey information, to persuade, and to induce emotions. Aesthetic elements such as sounds or visual style contribute to the overall experience and are frequently manipulated to induce different experiences. Jane Cooks explained interactive narratives arguing that these have great potential to deliver health-relevant information leading to behavior change. Julia Bob and Elisa Meckler discuss emotionally intense games that generate frustration and anger as a result of randomly changing controls and can be used in the lab for assessing and training emotion regulation. Kaja Rogers investigated audio as a single component of gameplay and connected benefits of well-being to music listening. Rogers presented research supporting the notion that music is already used for regulating a person's mood and argued that background music can be the same. Hugh Glier, I believe is the name of the company, presented their exploration of ways in which therapeutic games addressing reduced sensitivity to stimuli on one side of the brain of vision caused by damage to one hemisphere of the brain can adapt to the ongoing variation in individual users through dynamic difficulty adjustment. The goal was to respond and assess the differences in people's individual needs and responses to intervention. Video games and playful interaction have the potential to transcend across the societal board through sex, ethnicity, race, age, or ability, and populations who otherwise wouldn't benefit or have access to traditional therapy. However, Game developers had to characterize games according to specific demographics and conditions to avoid mismatch between design intent and user needs. And these uh, these companies, as follow, uh, this is what they did. I'm not really sure how to pronounce their names, so I'm not really going to try to. If you want to know the names of the companies specifically, you can just go to my WordPress, which would be in, in my listed in my bio. So... This one company created an adaptation of a depression management game for young LGBT plus people. Designers and publishers discussed the challenges of the character creation process for this marginalized demographic and a relatable outreach method. Although the pros included the potential of social support in online game groups. Another designed a game to support young children with cystic fibrosis in a clinical context. Designers insisted that playing a game with difficult situations such as long hospital stays supported emotional coping and improved well-being all the while maximizing their psychological needs and so and creating an engaging experience. Another wanted to study older adults 
personality characteristics using a HVR or a um, head-mounted virtual reality headset for a better understanding of their individual differences and attitudes, hopefully leading to improved decisions in a clinical context. Lastly, this company examined assistive technology for people with dementia through the lens of playful interaction design. They used, I'm sorry, they argued that adapting playful interaction principles to their needs, improving their interaction with caregivers and family members by stimulating emotions. Such assistive technology included a music playing pillow as a design case. Overall, as well-intended as their research may seem, many of these game-based interventions aren't taken serious by the clinical health community. Only a relatively small number of evaluations of the effects were found in their research, and only a subset of RCTs, or randomized control trials, were published, but many professionals and researchers believe a large number of RCTs would be more effective for collecting information. They also discovered playing games while distracted affects the quality of the game's data collected versus a player using, I'm sorry, versus a user playing with the intention of having a meaningful experience. Then ethics had to be considered such as um, diversity in race, sex, and age. Also how the data was collected and shared. For instance, a user playing a mobile game on their phone or uh, wearing a Fitbit to track their exercise, or even what they entered in the various search engines on their phones or computer or what have you. So the concern was how much information was needed to provide an accurate assessment that's not from the user's doctor or medical professional and may be considered an invasion of privacy. Yes, there are viable concerns for this new uh, avenue Researchers are pursuing in e-health game-based interventions for mental health treatments. Despite the challenges, uh, the innovative ideas highlight a promising future in mental health awareness, providing access to marginalized groups who may not have the funds or means to seek traditional therapeutic treatments and decrease the burden of mental health care. One game that inadvertently affected gamers' moods in a positive way is Tetris. The Tetris effect, which is... I'm sorry, which was allegedly first named by uh, Wired magazine writer Jeffrey Goldsmith in 1994. Um, the Tetris effect is when your brain shoots an image to your eyes simulating a Tetris game you're not consciously aware of at the time. This normally happens when your mind is blank and even at rest right before you fall asleep. This is also called the quote-unquote flow state. Once your focus intensifies, the intensity leads to ecstasy and clarity. You get this instant feedback of gratification after you make your move, either flipping a tile fitting perfectly into a slot or mistakenly scooting one over too far to the right and leaving a gap of space. But you as the player knew exactly what you were going to do from start to finish. The flow happens when a player maxes out their brain through certain activities or stress, finding a balance of challenge and skill level. For people anxiety-prone, Tetris can lower levels of negative emotions. And I don't know about anyone else, but when I play Tetris or any other puzzle game, I feel that ecstasy and gratifying satisfaction when I build the tiles and fit them into one another. Similarly, 
Similarly, I mentioned the flow in the history of Nintendo episode in reference to playing uh, the Super Mario game when they first created it, or I guess when sort of people started playing it, the creator um, started explaining what the flow was. So from that episode, the expert the excerpt as follows: um, "Quote this game, the Super Mario Three, uh, more than any others before, awarded the completionist." Simply winning wasn't enough anymore. The new goal was to visit every location the game offered, do every activity, soak in each experience. It was about play, what is called flow. The fun of the flow is its feeling of accomplishment and fulfillment while engaged in an activity. Games like Tetris, including Guitar Hero, uh, fiddling around with the Rubik's Cube, or even uh, figuring out jigsaw puzzles have many things in common that allow users to get lost in their simplicity. They include spatial reasoning involving bright colors and clean shapes and a constant sense of rhythm. Even though the Tetris effect became an afterthought, these listed games were purposefully developed to assist and promote better mental health practices. Sea of Solitude by Cornelia Geppard of Joe May, I want to say Joe May, maybe Joe Mai games. Uh, the main character Kay navigates in a partly submerged city as she faces a multitude of red-faced, scaly creatures. As the game progresses, Kay realizes the creatures she's encountering are humans who turned into monsters when they became too lonely. To save herself, she fights to overcome her own loneliness. Celeste. Explore depression and anxiety through a protagonist who had to avoid physical and emotional obstacles. Hellblade, Sinuous Sacrifice, a young Celtic warrior who deals with psychosis. Night in the Woods and Pry, developed into self-identity, anger issues, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Star, De- Star Valley uh, does not punish players. I'm sorry. Star Dew Valley does not punish players for not completing tasks and creates a slow-paced atmosphere where the objective is to take care of a run-down farm. Embodying a character who suffers or lives with mental illness leaves a deeper impression of the challenges that a character or an actual person with that illness may be experiencing. The interactive nature of video games are more effective in quote-unquote bouncing back negative moods than the passive form of media like TV or movies. After an initial playthrough of Night in the Woods, a player became emotional after playing the protagonist May, who, like her, uses sarcasm to deflect and bury their own problems. The user, living with a recent bipolar diagnosis, immediately identified with May's helpless and aimless motivations in life. While the user already sought treatment, after playing Night in the Woods, she became motivated about being more honest and receptive in treatment, as well as discussing mental health more regularly on her social media platforms, including Twitch. Another game that helps is Animal Crossing, which was originally released in 2001 and is a game with no goal. The goal simply is to live a quiet life who um, live a quiet life where you as, are the mayor of a small town inhabited by animal characters. The game provides routine and predictability central to its design and therapeutic capabilities. 
Healthcare professionals suggest that one of the first steps towards developing a mentally healthier lifestyle is to reinstate a routine. Depression is characterized by our disconnection from hope and enthusiasm for our future, which takes a toll on our routine. Routine is our way of meditating on the relationship we have between our present day and the future we're planning for. As we log in every day, we can develop the day itinerary of finding all four fossil, possible fossils and donating them, shopping, saying hello to our neighbors, and etc. But the basic point here is to uh, slowly introduce the skill of maintaining a positive routine back into our lives by practicing them in the virtual world where there are a few things to consider and far less complex. Animal Crossing provides an anchor to those who may also suffer or live with anxiety. Anxiety disorders make us suffer through bouts of panic and dread, hopelessly lost in the currents of life and reality, feeling exposed, vulnerable, and victim of circumstance. Whether we start the game up the second, the fourth, or one hundredth time, we know what to expect as we escape the farming as we escape to the farming village. Though Escapism is generally viewed as a negative. It can be incredibly therapeutic for an anxious person for an hour or two to have a chance to stabilize their emotions and train their thoughts to calm down. If you're like me and live with endless deadlines and time restraints, Animal Crossing relies, I'm sorry, reminds us how life could be without those time pressures. This is how I feel when I play the uh, Harry Potter Lego games on my Switch. Um, since there's no time clock when you're completing objectives or doing free play, um, I, I get lost in this strange, uh, magical, no pun intended, or maybe it is intended, I'm not sure, uh, this magical world until my thumbs go numb. Uh, like the Lego games, Animal Crossing helps us exercise how to calm down and do what we want for ourselves once in a while instead of living by deadlines and outward expectations. In Animal Crossing New Leaf, a player can open a cafe, order coffee, sit down and drink it. That's it. That's literally it. There's no, there's no end goal here. What I love about this is that many of us, including myself, are always thinking about the next thing while we're already in the middle of doing something, something else. Specifically... I always need to be doing something with my hands. I can't just let the machine take its time when it's making my coffee. Coffee. I con- I'm constantly fidgeting, uh, searching for something else to meddle with in the meantime. I-, I can't just drink my coffee in silence, Eva. I have to be on my phone or watching TV. Just something to focus my eyes on. Games like Animal Crossing invited the player to enjoy something small and pleasant. As previously discussed, people with, living with anxiety, me, depression, me, uh, PTSD, bipolar disorders, and the many other mental conditions. Sitting down and enjoying your coffee in peace or even going out and ordering a coffee can be considered a huge deal for a lot of people. It's a small victory, but it's still something to feel good about. This game and many others... Uh, encourages mindful living practices we should all get behind in our everyday lives. Summarily, there is no real wrong or right way to go about this. I mean, it's definitely a wrong way, but I don't think there's any definitive uh, wrong or right way to go about this. Uh, 
monitoring what you or others play and how you feel during and after is no different than what you it's no different than the food and drink that you willingly put in your body. It's all about what content you are actively consuming in your day-to-day life and if it's if it positively serves you as a person. If these games or others help you shed the stress of a long day at work or school, provides that rush after advancing to the next level, or simply clearing a field of weeds for extra coins, or finally getting to chat with a friend online you haven't spoken to in weeks, I would say just go for it. I mean, if people's stigma towards video games and those who play them are that strong, I think it's people's lives environments and activities that need to be observed not like not the games themselves it's like you, you don't blame the games you like if people's like what we talked about in the beginning about how people were concerned about children playing these violent video games it's like yeah i get the violence can be unnecessary but at the same time what is going on in that child's life that they feel like they need to be playing these games and are we really talking about the deeper issue and a lot of these games help with calming people down and getting them through their lives. What is it in their lives that needs to be uh, that needs to be talked about? And again, this is just to help start that conversation. Maybe sit down and talk to your kids after listening to this, or maybe reach out to someone, a therapist, a close friend, you know, if you trust them enough, even a colleague. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I, again, I, I'm not a doctor. I just think this is a subject that needs to be talked about more instead of um, criticized or uh, judged or looked down upon, you know, especially if you're an adult that plays video games. There's a reason for that. The same reason why a lot of people binge watch TV shows or watch certain types of movies over and over again. Like, there's something going on there, good or bad, you know, it, it's good to just reach out and maybe just go a little bit deeper. So that's my spiel. Thank you for listening. Again, this is KS Garner, and you have been listening to the Solo Nerdboy Podcast. Thank you.